morning, everybody, and happy Easter. This has been a 007 back on Wolfcast after a long hiatus. And we are here today to discuss Game of Thrones, episode two of the final season, season eight, called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. I am joined today by my fellow curator, in fact, the OG curator, Glenn. Hi there, Glenn Tacos-Trevers from the forums. By the lovely Hannah. Hey, it's Shadow Baby on the forums. By Jock. Hello, Mando Jock to you on the forums. Nice to speak to you again this weekend. And we will also be joined very shortly by another curator, Nadia. So we're going to discuss this episode. It all takes place in Winterfell on the eve of the, the battle we've all been waiting for, the Battle of Ice and Fire. And because it all takes place in Winterfell, we've tried to split up the scenes, of which there are many and various, by who is the predominant actor in those. So we're going to do the Jamie scenes, and then the Arya scenes, then the Danny scenes, then the Little Grey Worm and Missandei scenes, and then all the Battle Council scenes, which is broadly in order of what we see in the episode, but we have tried to combine some just to make it easier to discuss all the themes that are here. Hey, Nadia, how are you? I sound terrible. <laughs> oh, are you feeling under the weather? Yep. Oh, well, it's good to have you on anyway as the third curator. And also returning to Wolfcast after, like me, a long hiatus of not watching the show. Three years. Yep, absolutely. So it's good to have everyone back. And let's kick off. So at Winterfell, we begin, I think, predominantly with a whole bunch of Jamie scenes. I wrote in my show notes that there were two key themes of this episode. The first, I think, is a theme of redemption, whether that's Jamie or Theon, and even a little bit Sajora. And then the second theme was of strong ruling women, whether that's Sansa, Danny, uh, Lyanna Mormont, and then strong women, other Arya, and the little girl who wants to defend the crypt. So a lot thematically to talk about in this in this episode. So let's begin with our lemon cake ratings. Uh, Nadia, how many lemon cakes would you give this out of five? I I would give it five just for the Brienne being knighted scene. Is that, that like really the good. best scene ever in Game of Thrones history? <laughs> I, I I think so. Like I I was legitimately crying. <laughs> like all the feels. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Five lemon cakes. I almost want to dock it half a lemon cake for that sex scene, but I just love the Brienne stuff so much and all the Jamie stuff yeah, we'll so get much. To that. We'll get to that. Um, Glenn, how many lemon cakes for you? It, it, <coughs> the episode did give me a, um, I guess a Blackwater vibe. I, I really loved it. Um, I think um, I would I would give it a rating of four point five out of five. Very good. Yeah, it's true. That Blackwater, especially with Tyrion at the end, just looking out the battlements. That was a very cool vibe. Um, Hannah, how many lemon cakes for you? Well, there's a couple of really glaring things that I just can't stand about this episode, but it's like bad things in an otherwise pretty good episode, probably the best since I'd say season five. So I'm going to be generous and say four. Jock, how about you? What what lemon cake rating would you give it? I'll give five out of five. Very good fan fiction. Good recommend. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okie dokie. So into the episode, we start off at Winterfell with Jamie scenes. So... We start off with Jamie uh, very much at the end of the last episode being called out by Danny for killing um, the Targaryen king. She kind of disability shames Jamie with a one man with one hand comment. He claims that he's come north to fight in earnest. I promise to fight for the living. I intend to keep that promise. 
we get Bran calling him out with the things we do for love very cryptically. Um, a very interesting reaction shot. But there's no real depth to that. Um, I've been waiting for you, old friend, that lots of fans were reading lots of stuff into at the end of the last episode. At least not yet. And then Jamie has the lovely line, this goes beyond loyalty. This is about survival. So we have Sansa, the wise ruler, trusting her wise Brienne, who vouches for Jamie. We get Danny, who obviously doesn't trust her hand and blames him for being fooled by Cersei. And John, in my show notes, being a, quote, fucking non-entity, unquote. But anyway, Jamie lives to fight it on the day and we don't get the trial of Jamie. Um, any thoughts, comments on this scene? My only question was, um, so Danny kind of formally has switched allegiance now when he calls Danny your grace. I guess he couldn't do otherwise, but that was a pretty big moment. How do you feel about this little interaction, boys and girls? But wouldn't you address a foreign king or queen uh, as such as well? Like, if they had a title, wouldn't you refer to them by that title? Ah, so you think it's just a sort of courtesy, courtesy honorific. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, she's a queen in her own right anyway, yeah. Mm. Although, as Sansa later says, what about the North? Um, How did you feel about the interactions here? Were you disappointed not to get a proper trial? Yeah, that that's what I was going to say. I was waiting for Jamie to, you know, to uh, give uh, to, to defend himself, to say, you know, Eris wanted to burn the whole city. I wanted to have that moment for Danny to realize what her father was truly like. Like, I don't think she's had that in the show. So I, I really wanted to see that. But I felt like it was very short. And very no, I almost short. wanted yeah, Bran to defend him rather than Brienne and say, look, this is the situation. But maybe that will come. Sorry, Shahana. Well, I was just going to say it seemed to be like a, a pacing issue. Like we heard Jamie's speech to Brienne about it in the Heron Hall scene, but they're moving out a clip, you know, and so it's just like, well, they get it. I felt like it was underwritten. I wonder if, if we'll revisit it, though, or whether this really truly is it. Um, Danny's like, fine, just fight for us. And almost you yeah, can validate right. yourself through fighting. Uh, I did think there would be more on it, or it would, um, I, I guess they sort of glazed over it and just moved on quickly. But I thought they would maybe, like when Bran says the things we do for love, I think thought there would be a, I guess, a reveal there that it was him that pushed him out the terror, or maybe that would have caused Sansa to remember but. Um, yeah, but it was a good team overall, though. Mm. Yeah, I really loved Sansa being this wise ruler in contrast to Danny, who seems still rather emotional and volatile. Um, Jock, any thoughts? Yeah, I did like the Sansa and Brienne into the action. Mm. I think it shows Probably. real maturity, right, on the part of Sansa. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah she definitely is the ruler that um, the ruler that I want. She's my queen. Okay, so then the next interaction with Jamie as we go through his little sort of redemption meetings is the totally awkward scene at the Hearts Tree between in the Godswood between Jamie and Bran. Um, how do you know there is an afterwards? Creepy comment. Is Jamie gonna die? Has Bran seen it? And how do we like the all new hipster Jamie? Beard, floppy hair, emo. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? Do you think there's any any significance to Bran's comment here? I think there must be, otherwise he wouldn't have said it. And I also thought that when he said that, it wasn't just talking about Jamie; it was talking about other characters. Yeah, for or... sure. Maybe Bran himself, after all, the Night's King is coming after him, apparently. Yeah, they've seemed to have foreshadowed a lot of people's deaths, like Grey Worm as well, and the clips are totally safe. Brian. Oh my god. Mm, I won't save it. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
<laughs> All right. Um, and then we get a Jamie and Tyrion scene where this is really interesting, where Tyrion says to Jamie, she never fooled you. You always knew exactly what she was, but you loved her anyway. Um, we Do we agree with this? And also, is it, I was thinking as I was watching this, because it was talking about sex. Is this the longest Tyrion has gone without sex? Because he hasn't been laid since he met Danny, if not before. Um, also, a shout out to the Dragon Class fortifications that look awesome. But this Jamie and Tyrion moment about Cersei I thought was really nice. Do you think Jamie was never fooled? I kind of felt maybe it's book Jamie that he was fooled in the beginning about Cersei. Yeah, yeah. In the books, Jamie definitely does, does not understand Cersei's true nature. Um, in the show, uh, you can't really tell what people are thinking. So true. you know, we can't we can't say if he did believe her, like if he was fooled by her or not. But I think in the books, definitely he was fooled. Like he did not know. But it makes a big difference for the character, no? Because if you think he always knew how monstrous she was, but loved her anyway, it makes him less less dopey and maybe less forgivable because he just followed his cock around or was just in love. Whereas if you think he was genuinely fooled at the start, it makes him... It, it's easier to understand, maybe. But then Jamie himself was not a very was not a very nice person when we first see him, right? Like, he threw a kid out a window. So it wasn't like he wasn't a monster, right? But the thing is that we've seen Jamie go through a redemption arc whereas Cersei has gone, like, the opposite way. Mm. Like, I feel like in the first scene where we see them, uh, when they're in the tower having sex, when Bran sees them, Cersei is the one who regrets uh, Bran being pushed out the window, right? Like, she was like, we could have convinced him not to do this. So I feel like they've gone in opposite directions. So... And that's kind of when the Jamie Cersei split starts to happen, right? Like, it, I know it doesn't happen like a couple of until a couple of books or seasons later, but that's basically when it starts. Whereas um, in the show, it's a much it's a much later split. Like he goes along with her basically yeah, until a penultimate right. episode of season seven, effectively. Mm-hmm. So it's right. a much more rapid. I mean, he's getting doubts before then, but it's it's a much more rapid redemption. Um, and also, he's left his unborn child, as far as he's concerned. So it's a bigger sacrifice in a way in the TV show. But then, was it really his? Like, he never considered Joffrey and Tommen and Marcella to be his children, right? Which I always like, found weird. I always found that very strange. Yeah, I mean, we did have, like, the scene with Marcella before she, right before she dies. But then that was, like, right at the end. But I think before... I don't think Cersei let him get close enough to the children, ever. Like, she was probably afraid that people would realise what was happening. But there's a subtle difference insofar as when the first three kids were born, there was a, so to say, father on the scene, a legitimate father. So he couldn't be close to the kids because that would have raised suspicion. But now everyone knows Cersei and Jamie's shagging. They're ruling the kingdoms. This is his chance to be a dad and be involved from the pregnancy. And it just kind of sits weirdly with me that, okay, he's abandoned Cersei, fine. But he kind of, he's just abandoned his unborn kid. And when Tyrion says, like, do you think she was lying about pregnancy? I thought maybe they could have given him just a line or so or a beat to acknowledge it's this awkward choice he's had to make. Like he's had to leave his child too. Um, his character in the show is just kind of meh for me at this point but that moment that he had in the yard with Brienne yeah I don't know it felt like it fell a little flat Mm. yeah okay I can't tell if I just really there's a lot of stuff like that in the show where I'm like eh it's not that great because I I think that's a legitimate that's a legitimate reaction to the Jamie character in particular I think yeah it's like and I have a lot of expectation built up in my mind. So I know I'm being like hypercritical as well of a lot of stuff. 
But the character, it's always like, I don't know, they made him more reactionary like the last few seasons. In season seven, almost passive to the point of, um, yeah, it was really frustrating for me. Okay, so later that night, we have another Jamie scene, which is Jamie and Tyrion again, where um, Tyrion has some great lines where he talks about, he, I wish father were here. And then he talks about the perils of self-betterment. So, you know, they're talking about Jamie leaving Cersei and obviously Tyrion uh, not whoring around anymore. And then we have a really fracking weird scene with Tormund where he talks about why he got the nickname Giant Spain and the fact that he uh, was suckled at the teat of a giant um, and that's why Isn't he's that, so. Like, from that's the what book? he says in the book, right? Yeah, yeah. I it's... think that's like straight from the book. He, I think I think this falls that... into the character category of you read it and it's weird and you forget about it, but when it's someone mm-hmm. saying it in front of you, it's even weirder. <laughs> Correct. Well, and he's not saying it in. Yeah. Like I don't know. I always imagine in the book as like he knows he's exaggerating shit. Like it's a tall tale. You know what I mean? Like. Do you think that's how I was in the book? And then the delivery in the show was like, what? (laughs) It felt so sincere. I mean, it felt real. Do you think it's a tall tale? I think it's real. (laughs) Like in the book, though, that's the sense I got from it is like, you know, look at me and my deeds, you know, that's your reputation and stuff like your identity. I just I thought know, it was I really always... funny to get Jamie's reaction shot, which is so weirded out and almost like, Ugh. and I thought, yeah, Mel, and you've just weirded out the guy who fucked his sister for over a decade, so good job. Uh, yeah, in front <laughs> of his actually... son's sport. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually pretty funny, like when Dorman initially comes to Brienne and he's kind of flirting with her and Jamie just finds it hysterical <laughs> with how awkward Brienne is. Yeah, exactly. Um which leads us into the, the the next scene, Jamie and Brienne. Um, they're in the courtyard. She's going to command the left flank. And he's there's this really beautiful, humble scene where he's like, you know, I'm not the fighter I once was when I fight for you. And then Pod's not yeah, a bad fighter. Like the there's a kind of a look of motherly pride on Brienne's face when she sees Pod, um, you know, training with another fighter and actually being not bad. You know, Pod's come into his own. I did think that the fighting between Pod and that other guy, it, looks, it was obviously staged and, you know, it looked so fake between the two of them (laughs) which is quite a common theme through the the episodes because they always seem to do that when they have two characters sword fighting and they make it obvious that they're not really putting much effort into it at all oh no Mm. so you think all the fight scenes in the show are bad basically because they call attention to themselves (gasps) (laughs) oh no i i I fall for it i'm afraid uh jock any thoughts on the scene yeah, it was very nice, sort of sweet interaction between the two. And it sets up the love triangle for the party scene later. Yeah, for sure. Um, Hannah? I was just going to say that I wish this scene had been set somewhere else where they were alone. And they could have spoken a little more candidly and intimately like they have in other... Yeah, you wanted more sexual tension, right? Well, I mean, I wanted more... Uh... I guess as displays of emotion, I will like cut the crap, you know, I mean, if they're going to rush any relationship, I feel like that's like time, you know? Yeah. But I I think maybe it's deliberate because I like the idea that in this packed castle preparing for war, you don't get moments of privacy. And therefore when we get to that final climactic Brienne uh, being knighted scene, there's so much going on between them in terms of the looks in their eyes. It's almost like an act of love. This act of knighting her, which is a very formal courtly act has so much emotion freighted through it, but we can talk about that when we get there. So I think that's kind of the payoff. Like we can't express ourselves in private, but we're going to do it in this very, kind of um coded manner 
Anyway, we'll get there when we get there. So that's all for Jamie, other than the battle scenes, which we'll get to. Let us move to the Arya scenes. Speaking of unexpressed love and emotion, um, we get a little scene between Gendry and Arya early on where he's crafting tools. She's like, hey, bitch, I'm the lady, uh, you know, Lady Stark, make my weapon first, which is totally a power move. And then she goes, I know death. He's got many faces. I look forward to seeing this one because she's a little psycho. And then later that night, she decides that she wants to lose her virginity um, after a, a kind of fairly meaningless scene between Arya and the Hound, where I didn't really see the point of that scene. It just felt like I fought for you, didn't I? Um, maybe it's just to justify why the Hound is still there. I don't know. But anyway, later that night, we get the uh, sex scene, which I think is going to cause a lot of people to lose their shit. I think a lot of fan fiction has been written about this. Um, but, you know, Arya isn't that little cute girl who was crushing on Gendry anymore. So for me, I didn't want to see the sex scene. I don't think the sex scene is realistic. I don't think they, the characters at this point would have sex. And it just felt a bit exploitative of Gendry, which doesn't mean that I think he wasn't willing. But it just felt like Arya's made a decision. Gendry, get your kit off. I'm going to fuck you now. And it's just like, this is not romantic. This is not emotional. Arya's not that character anymore. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. I don't know who wants to go first on the ranting. Um, actually, Absolutely. before we rant, That's is there anyone who likes the scene? Is there anyone for whom it was good? Don't be embarrassed. You can say it. Well, I liked it. Go for it, Glenn. Why do you like it? Why do you find it fulfilling? I'm really <laughs> eager to hear. I really like when you see two characters where you know that they like they like each other. They might not admit it, and then eventually they they you know get together later on. So I thought I, I like that part of it. And um, as Arya was saying, it is war. They could both die tomorrow, so why not? Oh, I mean, I like I like those kind of things. I did not like the execution here. Like I ship Ari and Gendry, and that is how that's basically how I lost my Virginia virginity. I was like, okay, we're doing this now with a friend of mine, and yeah, so maybe that maybe part, that's realistic. It just was like it, it seemed so cheap and like low hanging, lazy, written poorly. Just oh god, I hated it. That could have been so much more, and it could have been. Like a real, you know, like one of my favorite shots in the whole show is when Danny's in the house of the undying and that moment she has with Drogo and uh, the baby is there. It's beautiful. This could have been something like that. And it just felt. But could it have been? Like, is Arya still like, in that emotional space to have that kind of lovely, soft, glowing scene? I don't know. I just, I felt like it it felt trashy to me to be perfectly frank. I really really hated it. It felt like completely out of place, out of touch. And the other thing that I just, it made me feel uncomfortable because I understand like when an actress or actor decides to, you know, assert themselves as an adult, they're not a child. That's fine and I'm not a prude. But it was weird seeing Maisie Williams this girl that you've been watching grow up. And yeah, her content's already on the verge yeah. of being super inappropriate, like obviously for her age. And then to see her doing that, it just it felt awkward for me as a viewer. I really could have done without it, and I thought it was like not tastefully done. Similar comments yeah, I agree. for me about yeah. Santa's scene in season five, although a lot worse. Yeah, that's a lot see, this worse. This felt even that's like pretty- worse to me than that. It made no, it made no sense to the plot for me. Like having done something nice that was very tender, 
and emotional or like waiting till after the battle to do that or any other options it probably wouldn't have felt so bad but it just yeah, if they had, had sex in relief at surviving maybe that would have made more sense i also felt it was almost like exploitative of the actor joe dempsey so if they really brought him back after three seasons just so aria can pop her cherry before battle right i mean he does have a little more depth than that and you know i liked the moment where he's like i'm robert Brathian's son and she kind of like her eyes got a little wider, you know, it kind of dawned on her what that could mean. And that's the moment she decides to shack him. Well, now that you're basically lordly, I can. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it was odd. Like, when you were just um, a no name, I wasn't interested. But now, um, <laughs> Nadia, thoughts like on the scene? It must, oh, yeah, I, I agree with Hannah. It was super awkward for me simply because, you know, we've seen her grow up from a child um, on the show. So it was just. I did not like I, I I was cringing through the whole scene I was like please please don't go there please don't go there but then it yeah. did like even if they had kind of like showed them you know kissing or something I don't think I would have reacted that badly to it but just right like trying to go away in, in kissing and that yeah. would have been fine even yeah, with think- all the other implications also, what made it awkward was that there was no there was no emotional there was no emotion involved, right? Like if right. if if they had reconnected as friends, and it would have been like a genuinely sweet kind of like rekindling of their sort of romance that we had before, um, then it would have been fine. But this was just like an emo- a very emotionless, you know, like oh, we might die tomorrow, so let's have sex. And so, you know, I, I did not enjoy that. No, I agree completely. It's like, you know, Mike and Eleven goes to, it goes from that to being like Queen Amidala and Anakin Skywalker. It's like the worst. There's an interesting interview with Jay Dempsey in The Hollywood Reporter where he's like, it was a bit weird to film because, you know, I've known Aria since she was 11 or 12, but I respect the fact that Maisie Williams is now 20, so I didn't want to patronize her and I sort of went ahead with it. And you can, the awkwardness just drips off the page. You can tell, like, even the actor was awkward. Like, even if he felt awkward, obviously we would too. I just, if Maisie (laughs) Williams had made the choice to do a nude scene, like after this project that wouldn't have bothered me so much but it's like her as this character it's just weird like and it didn't work yeah jock any thoughts on this scene well it did feel like the only lushed um like the sex scene pretty much immediately starts after like they're speaking about leeches doesn't seem like the most conductive to a sex scene <laughs> I did think that um, it reminded me of another podcast I listened to up yours downstairs a few years ago and they were talking about a scene in Downton Abbey where two characters have sex and the host just says like anytime you, you, you see two major characters have sex then it'll lead to something so it made me think hmm, will this will this lead to pregnancy for Arya Ooh. or something so major. another claimant like a stark Baratheon claim to yes. the throne <gasps> Oh, Glenn, you've blown my mind. Oh, but then I think this is what this is what we went through with the whole King in the North um, conspiracy, right? And then we eventually, our, eventually ourselves, you know, we, we discarded it because as nice as the thought was that Rob might have a child, it's just impractical that, that that child won't come into play for, you know, at least a couple of decades. So it doesn't really matter. Like whoever takes the throne before then will have, you know, kind of cemented their position by then. 
and it'll just mean another war if this person, if this child decides to claim the throne when they grow up. Yeah, yeah it feels like there's too few episodes left to kind of explore that, but it'd be fucking hilarious. Unless they do a time jump, unless they kind of end the battle or do, do deal with Cersei, and then there's like a six month time jump or something. Or they could do like Harry Potter and fast forward twenty years. Oh boy, the next the next civil war starts. No. <laughs> Okay, well, I feel we've... I thought of one positive thing about that scene. Go on, then. I did, like, when she's asking about how many fucking women he slept with, which is stupid, but she goes, you're lying. And it was, like, shades of the game, you know, in the book. Oh, yes. So I did like that, you know. But I thought that was all a bit juvenile and teen adolescent. Like, tell me how many people he slept with. I was like, really? Really? She's trying to practice Westerosi safe sex, Librilla. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) It did make me think, though. um, I can't remember the movie. Maybe it was Clueless. Maybe it could be something else. But it's like when a guy gets asked how many you how many women you slept with take that take that number divide by three whereas on the side when a woman gets asked how many times she's been um how many men she's been slept with then it's like take that number and time by three love it great reference <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think there is some form of academic literature that does reflect that effect where um in surveys like um the amount of people having sex doesn't mathematically add up so somebody has to be either misreporting or something. It also reminds me of my favourite line from Amir Khan, a famous Bollywood actor, when he had a sort of a discussion talk show and he said, we all claim that no one here is having sex before marriage and we're all very prudish in India, but we're a nation of a billion people, so somebody's having some sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember it was American oh, so Pie too. That's where I got that Times by Free reference. So I don't want to get into like a whole big thing about it and not to be like an alarmist, but I do think it was a little flippant the way they had Gendry talk about what Melisandre did to him. Like she, it was not, not sexual and it was certainly abusive. And But it's quite realistic. I, mean, I think lots of people who've been I, in very abusive um, positions don't realize just how abusive it was until many years later, if not, if ever. I mean, it's. I would have felt better if they just not addressed that at all than like mm. made such light of it kind of like in that situation i don't know it was just yeah like, i agree oh. i agree i think it speaks to the fact that gendry just expects to be treated like shit because he's this bastard who is poor and he's just he just expects to be shit on in his entire life so oh yeah here was another example where someone tried to exploit me yeah Okay, so I think we've pretty much exhausted our outrage, apart from Glenn at the Arya scene. Let us move now to some Danny scenes. So there's a cute little scene with Danny and Sajora where she kind of forgives him yet again and he advises her to trust her hand, which is good of him. I think we are we get a redemption of Jamie, but we're also getting a redemption of Jorah that back from his illness. Yeah. He's he's genuinely a good guy now, which is kinda of nice. Mm-hmm. And he gets his reward with a nice sword. Um but he then presumably sends her to Sansa, which is a really fucking awkward scene. So Sansa kind of defends once again Jamie via Brienne and also says that, you know, Tyrion was a good man to her. So is defending him to uh, Danny. She speaks truth to power when she says to Danny, you never should have trusted Cersei either. So don't keep blaming Tyrion. And they have this kind of love in scene, which is a reconciliation after last episode's kind of standoff between them. But then it does come down to a hard question. And it's an open question at the end of this episode, 
where Sansa, I think, you know, remains determined and clear-sighted where she says, what about the North? And you kind of feel, or I kind of felt like, yes, shouldn't John have asked this? Are we really trying to, are we really meant to believe that Danny is being sincere when she's trying to woo Sansa? It came across as very fake to me. And I loved that Sansa didn't really fall for it. Like she, and I think for people who criticised episode one, when they said it's kind of like just a, a cat fight, Sansa gives a very clear-eyed reason for why she's suspicious of Danny, And it's not that she wants her throne or anything self-serving. It's just we've got hard decisions to make and a battle to win. And when my brother is in love with you, he's not going to think clearly and he can be manipulated. So basically, I, I've always been a Sansa shipper, continue to be a Sansa shipper because of this scene. And I love the fact that that is an open question. What about the North at the end? Um, thoughts on this scene boys and girls I mean I just enjoyed like these two you know kind of like hashing it out Um, but although Danny did seem like a little patronizing at least in the beginning of the conversation but yeah it's a very interesting question like what happens to the north like Sansa is still accountable to the people of the north it's not just like they can decide that they bend the knee and everyone's going to follow the north uh, notoriously is very like independent minded people right like they do um Uh, They follow their leaders, but because they respect them, not because of any right that they have over them, right? Um, So, you know, they they are, after this war ends, they they will be held accountable. So what are they going to do Mm. if they've just bent the knee to a dragon again? Yeah, I agree. Glenn, thoughts? I just love that question throughout the entire episode. So what happens after, what happens at the end, either of the the battle between the living and the dead or just the battle in general once the war is over if, if it ever ends just what happens next so um of course what happens to the north because they they want to be independent um what happens with a, a lot of interactions between characters that get interrupted very game of thrones style so the interruption between daenerys and john at the end once he reveals his true identity yeah that's the other big open question at the end of this episode so a lot of questions of what will happen after for a lot of characters a lot Mm. of situations in the show which i love yeah and brand saying what if there's no after but you're right so what happens to the north what happens to westeros i mean both seats of power are open at this point which is awesome setup um, okay, so Jock, Hannah, any thoughts on on the scene between Danny and Sansa? Um, just that um, is that Danny really saying that um, if it wasn't for like falling in love with John, would she really just let like the North be completely destroyed by the White Walkers? I know. I know. It's like, what kind of a ruler are you? <laughs> I don't think she really would have. I think it's. I don't know. Like, how much in the scene is she sincere, and what what is she saying it because she thinks Sansa wants to hear it? It's pretty, pretty. Boring. Yeah, exactly. Like I question Danny's motivations. Like she's only there because Sir Jorah convinced her, right? Yeah, arguably it's more for Sir Jorah than yeah. I don't know. I don't even get really that Danny is in love with John. I know they are. They profess to be because you kind of have to be for the show. But you don't even see them on screen together that much, really. There's that first scene where they're just sort of judging Jamie, but. I've never been convinced by the writing that they're actually in love with each other. They just say it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel real to me. Whereas I really yeah, thought she I was agree. in love with um, Carl Drago. It doesn't feel real here. Maybe too rushed. Was that the taller man she was talking about? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dario. She obviously wasn't in love with him. Uh, <laughs> it was just hot sex. My thing with this and my thing with the one between John and Danny is like, if you are freaking in love with each other, then why don't you just say to Sansa, well, it doesn't really fucking matter because 
Obviously, he'll be king consort, if not king matrimonial to me anyway. So why don't you just be queen in the north and we'll run to allied kingdoms? Like, it gives a shit. There's fucking white walkers coming. Like, I mean, I think that basically is the point of this episode is all these questions are asked and none of them are answered because, like you say, who gives a shit? We need to defeat the white walkers first. So we'll answer all this tomorrow. Hence, when um, Danny and John have that conversation, it's interrupted by the call to battle, effectively. Um, Okay, so the next Danny scene is Danny, Sansa and Theon. And I think it's so cute. Theon arrives and Sansa just rushes to hug him. It's the ultimate forgiveness. You know, you saved my life. You're here now to help us. Um, he pledges to defend Bran. It's it's just, again, it's that beautiful redemption arc of characters in this episode, which is so lovely. Um, thoughts about Theon coming back? Fairly straightforward. But all the feelings. trying to shit that. Really? Theon Sansa? Well, that's like the vibe I got. And I was like, oh, I mean, show-wise, yeah, I, I, I guess yeah. I get it. Because they've been through the same shit. Like, they were both tormented by Ramsay together. <gasps> That would be so nice. And then the Iron Islands, so he could stay with Sansa and then um, his sister can rule the Iron Islands. I don't utterly yeah. hate that. Saying I got the same vibe too, especially when they had like this tiny uh, scene at the end where they were just sitting together. Um, I kind of felt there was something there. So <gasps> it's entirely possible it could happen. Second time this episode, my mind is blown, but I'm not hating it. Hannah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hate it. I was surprised that I was like, oh, is that what they're doing? And I was like, I started to go oh, And then I was like, no, it's, I actually don't mind that that much. Um, boys thoughts or are we girls just getting carried away with our fan fiction I did think that Daenerys gave her a look which made me think of when Jorah said to her in the first season about rulers showing emotion and it was sort of like oh you shouldn't have done that or she was visibly in tears about seeing Theon again yeah. Mm. And then we get the final big Danny scene where obviously John tells Danny about his parentage, which is a ballsy move on the eve of battle, and she does not look impressed. And uh, it's an open question. I think we've almost covered it. But any, any final thoughts in this? Were you surprised that he revealed it at this point, maybe? I was, because yeah. um, I, I guess um, because we, we see John, Daenerys, and Sansa, and um, that they're talking about Jamie at that time. So. John's avoiding looking at Daenerys there and then we, we don't really see them interact until the end but it's it's good that um he revealed it now but I did think he would it would wait a few a few episodes mm, I kind of felt the same I was surprised but as you said earlier I'm really happy they left it open um but yeah big questions to answer I felt like it was building towards that scene from the very beginning of the episode. Like, John kept running away from her, but then I figured we'd see it. Because we were bound to see that scene before the next episode, which is, like, going to be the huge battle. So I wasn't surprised that they did it in this episode. Mm. Okie dokie. So we've done the Jamie-driven scenes. We've done the Arya-driven scenes, the Danny-driven scenes. Now we've got just a few bits of mopping up um, before we get to sort of Winterfell Battle Council scenes at the end. So in this sort of uh, miscellaneous scenes, we've got a very cute couple of scenes between Grey Worm and Missandei. Um, <laughs> I think we've all been there, those of us of colour, where we've been in a situation with a bunch of white kids who were weirded out by our afros. And uh, they basically come to the conclusion that Westeros is no country for black men. And that as soon as this shit is done, they're going to fuck off back to Essos, which kind of makes me sad. But I thought was an interesting scene to write because 
it's kind of calling attention to the fact that these are the only people of colour in this whole final showdown. And I kind of bizarrely liked that the writers went there and took a moment to acknowledge that and acknowledge um, maybe the, not racism, but just the, the fact that these little kids are kind of freaked out, have never seen people of colour before. Um, yeah, I agree. I was surprised that they actually acknowledged it. Like... Game of Thrones tends to be a little tone deaf when it comes to, you know, these issues. So it was nice that they acknowledged it. I was just screaming at my TV the entire time, like, you can't go to Noth. And he's like, well, if that's where you want to go, I'll go with you. And I was like, well, then you'll die. You're going to die. Good job. (laughs) 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 It drove me crazy. (sighs) I was just saying that's too sweet and romantic. One of them is going to die. Yeah, Grey Worm's probably going to die in battle, right? It's like if you have a gay couple, they're probably going to get killed off. You know, gay couples can't live happily ever after. And uh, I feel this black couple can't live happily ever after either. (laughs) (sighs) I feel like anyone that's making plans is going to die. Yeah, that seems to be the theme of the episode. Like, I think that's that's the wisdom of Bran. Like, don't make plans. This is silly. And then we get a little, a cute little scene between Davos Gilly and a cute little girl who wants to fight because her brothers have fought. And Gilly just says, you know, why don't you come and defend us in the crypt and we'll feel safe, which is so cute. And she's like, all right, I'll defend the crypt then. Has that little girl just got a, a, a scarred face or has she got grayscale? That's my question. Didn't look like grayscale to me, but it just, it was more about what it meant today was that this girl had these scars on her face. Yeah, like a little mini Shireen knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure the clips aren't safe, as they keep saying how safe the clips are. <laughs> oh, you cynic, you. <laughs> um, yeah, unless there's an ice dragon down there buried somewhere in the crits. Or just all the bodies. Yeah, who get sort of brought back to life by the whites. Can whites, can they reanimate long dead people or is it just freshly dead people? Well, like the scene uh, when they're going into um, when Jojen gets killed. I mean, some of that looks pretty just straight up skeletal. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, you might not want to hide out in the crypts then. Good point. Well made. But then most of them would be like dust by now, right? Yeah, maybe they're so decomposed. I feel we need to know. I bet you that little girl reminded me of the lady at Hard Home that they had. It seemed like a setup for something like that to happen down there. Because most of them are probably dust, but there are probably still a few juicy ones. Yeah, probably. Okie dokie, so we've wrapped up all the miscellaneous scenes and now we get to our final bunch of scenes which I've kind of titled Battle Council Waiting for Battle. So, you know, bunches of characters that we've got to know while discussing how the battle's going to go and just getting nervous and having chats before the battle begins. So we start off with a little quiet scene between Bran and Tyrion where Tyrion says, you know, tell me your story about what happened to you, which I kind of think is interesting because it's a tiny, quick little scene. But I'm wondering to myself, what is the purpose? Like, why are they setting up Tyrion knowing about Bran's story? Is this going to portend anything? Um, I don't really have any thoughts on what it could mean. But did any of you get that feeling that this was in there for a reason? Or am I overblowing it? Mm -hmm. Because it didn't go anywhere, I feel like it might go somewhere in the future. We're so slippery, aren't we? Can't get anything past us. (laughs) I wonder if Bran's going to die. I wonder if um, he's fulfilled his purpose as the three-eyed raven. He's told Jon about his parentage. He's revealed about Jaime. The big secrets are done. And now maybe he can be killed off. Because what is his life now? You know. Yeah, the entire purpose of... uh, What's the purpose of the three-eyed raven? Like, is it to defeat the Night's King? If so, then when the battle ends, he's like... 
it's done, right? Yeah, I also think there's a bigger point about why did magic come back to Westeros at this point? And if the, if the purpose of magic was to defeat the, the, the Night's King, then at the end of that battle... Does that mean all the magics go too, i.e. dragons, i.e. Bran? Is it a bit like Lord of the Rings where you have this final battle to defeat Sauron and then all the magical things must leave? So I have another question from that. I don't really know the answer to that. And I don't think we're going to get it into the sh- in the show. Like, I don't think it's going to go that deep. Um, but I did have one question. Lord of the Rings basically reminded me. Like, are they setting up the Night's King uh, to be like kind of like Sauron? Basically, you take down the eye of Sauron and all his armies kind of fall back. Of you know, just um, yeah, I think so. So if you get into my, fighting, like... my next section, which is battle council. So my show note point was: so you get the Night's King, you win. I mean, the Night yeah, King exactly. was Bran. Bran has Night King GPS, and he'll be baiting the godswood. Um, Danny cuts off Tyrion's metaphorical balls, but forgives him, so she puts him in the crypt, although he's not there at the end of the episode. And then someone says, Dragonfire will stop him. And it's like, good fucking question. Bran doesn't know the answer. And then Tormund for the win. We're all going to die, but at least we die together. But yes, yeah, a big question. So <laughs> you, you get the Night's King, and that because obviously they've set it up that... The Night's King has so many troops, they can't defeat them troop on troop. So they have to bait and lure the Night's King. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Bran says, like, in the Night's King is what is controlling all of the whites. So all we have to do is take down, take him down, and then we're good to go. Like, I think that was the whole point of that, that scene. I guess the, the secret weapon is Bran, because we've seen the Night King trying to get close to Bran in the past with other episodes. So I guess if they did use Bar, uh, use Bran as bait and then use that moment, then kill the Night King. But it, so then... this none of this is in the books, right? Or is this in the books? Have I not got that? And because I always thought Bran would just stay as as Tree Bran in the north of the Wall, but I guess this then serves a the purpose of bringing him back to Winterfell. But is this just show stuff now? It's, yeah, it's not been covered. I don't think it has in the books yet. Maybe it will, possibly. Not 100% sure. Might be taking Lobin Aaron's story from the books because he has weird things going on with voices and stuff. If, if Bran does die, I think that would make a good cliffhanger moment for one of the episodes. Yeah. If it does happen. And do we think that, so we've got the battle next week. Do we think that will be it? Like that will end that part of it? Or yes. Will it I think that is the culmination of, yeah, I think it, this is a three episode arc to that battle. Ah, and gotcha. then I yeah, think the, the whole next night situation, right? Yeah. And then it's go off to deal with Cersei. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's only so many episodes. I think this three, this three is to finish the story in the North effectively. Um, yeah, I agree. I do wonder if they're going to try to like... What I keep trying to think to do is watch the big group episodes. And when Ari is there, if there's like one specific person who's not there also, because it makes me wonder if she's going to try to do some faceless man shit trickery in all of that. And also will Bran end up trying to warg Viserion? (gasps) Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I want to see that shit. I'll be sad if that doesn't happen. But it also makes me wonder if they're going to try to say that he, like, tries to work the Night King. Because they haven't, like, been shying away from all his publicity and theories. I'm not sure if he can walk the Night King. I think he's got a better chance of walking the Ice Dragon. But I love that there's shit that Bran doesn't know. I like it when he says he doesn't know about Dragonfire. And I like that he's going to have to experiment with stuff in battle now. Um, to figure out what so he can, can he do. Can he walk into something that's dead? We're not sure, I think. I mean, my suspicion is no, but um, we're going to find out. 
But if he did it like he did to Hodor during the whole hold the door thing, where it was from one foot in the past and one foot in the present. What's weird to me is why can't Bran just see in the future and figure out how he's going to win the battle? But he's he's like memory, so isn't he only seeing shit that's already happened? I thought he could also see the future. He saw visions. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. He saw visions of King's Landing with a dragon going over it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, get on that shit, Bran. Don't sit around moping under a tree. Start figuring out what's going to happen, dude. Which gives more weight to that comment of um, when he says to Jamie, how do you know it will end or, or whatever he says? Yeah, how do you know that there isn't afterwards? That's it, that's it. <laughs> okay, so we go from that little battle council part one to a little Night's Watch reunion with John, Tormund, Beric, Sam. What's the name of the current Lord Commander of the Night's Watch? Ed. 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 Yeah, I had total freaking mind blight, I couldn't remember. Her, the classic comment from Tormund, is the big woman still here? And then later that <laughs> night, you just have John, Sam and Ed, which is a really beautiful scene. Um, where Sam's like, everyone seems to forget that I was the first man to kill a White Walker. And then Sam says to Ed, well, calling you fucked wouldn't be strictly accurate. Hilarious. And then he (laughs) responds, Samuel Tarly, slayer of White Walkers, lover of ladies, as if we needed any more signs that the world was fucked. Um, I'm not sure there's much to say about the scene other than I really love that the writers took a moment to reunite the Night's Watch crew. And yeah, they've been through so much to acknowledge that and just have this little moment of camaraderie. It kind of reminds me, gave me big Lord of the Rings standing on the two towers, you know, waiting for battle, bit of brotherly camaraderie. We needed it, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty great scene. Um, again, it was a nice way to slow everything down for a minute. Mm. It was a good moment of silence for all the past characters that are now gone. Yeah. And then it reminded you of um, earlier scenes when it was the Night Watch and they were all bonding. Mm. Yeah, a memory for fallen heroes, I guess, and everything they've been through. Okay, so we have two final scenes, both which I think are all about the feels. The first is the knighting of Brienne. Pod's cute smile, like, you know, when Sir Jamie says, I'll prove it, I can do this. And she kind of looks like, I don't trust you. Is this a trick? And then she looks over at Pod and he gives her this kind of cute little, it's okay, go on. This is for real. You can trust this. There's so much being written into the facial acting of the actors here. I love it so much. And then Jamie knights her. She's kind of on the verge of crying. And for me, and I know I ship Jamie and I, th- I think, you know, whatever about Jamie, I think this is almost like a declaration of love. It's, I acknowledge you as a great warrior and I can give you this gift. I can't give you much else. Maybe I can't even give you my love, even though I know you're in love with me on some level. But I can give you this and it's, a, it's an act of love. And for Brienne to accept it from Jamie is to acknowledge that he is a knight in turn, right? And that I see you as a man of honour, that a man you're a man of worthiness who is also a knight so that you can bestow this on me. Um, just gave me all the feels. Uh, Nadia, I know you're going to be all over this yeah. scene. <laughs> I love the scene so much and I love the fact that they did it with so little dialogue and with so much emotion mm. like you could see it in all of their faces what they were feeling and I loved I, I really did enjoy that yeah. like and I'm I'm also a Brie and Jamie shipper so this was like everything for me yeah I don't think I need I don't ever need for them to get together or have a sex scene I just need for them to yeah, have had this yeah. moment and for Pod who's been with both of them for so long 
to be us in that scene, acknowledging how emotional it is. It was just so beautiful. Um, oh. And I'm glad Tormund was there to push them into it. Yeah. <laughs> I would have knighted you a hundred times over if I were a king. <laughs> He's such a fanboy. I really like that when it first dawns on her that that's really, she's really about to get knighted, kind of. Like that look on her face, but she's looking at Pod and sharing that part of it with just with him. Mm, I agree. To me, that's the classic example of keeping a minor character on this long. I mean, he knew Pod was going to last this long. Just for this payoff, in contrast to Gendry, who's a minor character similar, who's brought back in quite, I think, a quite sort of crude, crass way um, with no emotional heft to it. I did think when she was being knighted, was that like a cut down version of it? Because there's there's seven gods, but Jamie only mentions three of them. Maybe that's all he can remember. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought. I I thought the exact same thing, and I was like, and the Smith <laughs> and the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a great scene. Pod's amazing throughout. I know. He really is. I love Pod. Um, so yeah, all the feels of that scene. I think it's just, it's something that I wasn't necessarily looking for, but when it was there, I knew this was what I needed. Um, in the words of the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. And then we go on to a similarly beautifully all the feels moment, which is Sajora apparently kind of ticking off his uh, cousin, Liana, and saying, but you're the future of the house, you can't go to battle. And she's like, fuck off, old man, I'm going to go into battle because I'm fit. Um, continuing my theme of strong women, redemption and strong women, the scene has it both. The redemption of Sajora, Liana being awesome, and then Sam giving heartsbane to Sajora. Again, a scene I never expected, didn't look for, but I needed it. I just needed this scene. Yeah. It was everything. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, do you want to go first? I know you have thoughts on this and feels. Oh, I just thought that Sam giving him heartsbane made total fucking sense. It was awesome. I, I love that. Like, because Jora does not like deserve long claw and i also like how there wasn't some death step over that between him and john i thought i would start rolling my eyes when they had their encounter and i'm like oh god jesus don't have drama over this you don't get it and they didn't and then this is like a really just nice way to tie that up yeah it's a beautiful moment it really is and then pod sings and oh all the feels um nadia jock glenn thoughts on did you expect this to happen like i don't, I feel like this is a very surprising moment but maybe I'm no wrong. i did not expect it at all but it was again i love the scene with liana liana mormont i love the scene between sam and jora i i i really enjoyed how emotional it was for sam like this is his like biological father's sword who is never really a father to him but then he gives it to the son of the man he did consider his father and it just it was just so sweet i loved it mm. although i feel it was kind of like in the context of the show Eamon and that master at the citadel maester at the citadel were probably more fathers than i mean i feel jorah was more like a father almost to john but it still it had a beautiful oh, symmetry agree. to it um sorry glenn Oh, I agree with that, that um, Jorah, no, uh, Gior Mormon being more of a father figure to John. But it was a great resolution to one of the, the issues in the book where um, when Sam found, uh, you know, Mormon and um, he um, he gave him his sword to give to Jorah or convinced Jorah to join the Night's Watch. So I remember that part of it. Mm. I agree. It, it just felt like such a, both the knighting of Brienne and this handing over of the sword felt like such emotional resolutions for me in a way that Arya Gendry didn't. And I feel like if they had written it better, 
or just chosen not to do it. But if they had written it better, it should have done. It should have felt like a resolution of an arc. Um, um, yeah, I think it's foreshadowing George there. Oh, really? Yeah. <sighs> I don't want him to die now. He's like finally like a really solid guy. You know, he's advising yeah, well, Danny wisely. He's trying to like protect his niece or cousin. And oh. yeah. well, Say that again and listen to yourself and you'll realise, yeah, he's going to die. Because it's done. <laughs> his, his arc is complete. His redemption is complete. Yeah. Um, just when Pod starts singing, um, did it remind you of when Pippin sings in um, Return of the King? Yes. When he's sitting with Denethor? I just It immediately took me back to that scene. Yeah, and he's got a really good voice. And that's voice. the first time we've heard um, that particular song about Jenny of Oldstones, right? Yes, it is. Big moment for the fans. Yeah, I like that fan service. Easter eggs on Easter. Yeah, it was nice. It was it was a gift. But Pod has a lovely voice, I have to say. Um, so we have open questions at the end of this episode, two of which I don't think we can really answer. What about the North and what will Danny do with John's claim? I think that is going to be for episodes four through the end of the season. But I think we can speculate at the end of this episode about who will survive the battle. So you guys all think that Jorah's for it. <laughs> How many of you or which of you think that Jamie or Brienne are going to die? Maybe together? Yeah, I feel like no. Brienne is going to die. I just, after that scene, the nighting scene, I just feel like, yeah, they're going to kill her. And it's just going to hurt even more. Oh no. If she dies, I hope she dies with Jamie. Does anyone think Jamie or Brienne survived the battle? I do, but maybe not show. Okay. So Glenn or Hannah, how do you think they die in that case? No, I mean, I thought that they will survive. Well, I think that they'll they'll both survive the battle, but I think that... um, No, hold on. I think Brienne will die through the battle, but then Jamie will live, and then later on, Jamie could possibly die in a future battle with, with Cersei's army. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah that's I feel like either of them could be on the chopping block then, but probably not for this. Because you got they got to keep the stakes a little high, at least to the last episode. I hope they do, like, a solid wrap-up episode so i'm optimistically looking at like after the battle there's only four and five. Oh, my know. sweet summer child an optimistic battle oh yeah they live happily ever after um how many of you think that there's a probability of a major character dying in this battle like it just to kind of fuck with us in the way that killing ned in season one fucked with us so Danny and John, how many of you think, or Arya, I think Danny, John, Arya, how many of you think one of those three could die in this battle? Like Danny no. specifically. No, no chance. I feel like I, someone, I, like John, some of the major characters. Okay, Nadia, who do you think will die? Who's major? I, because we got like the Arya scene in the trailer where she's running through Winterfell, like she's terrified. I feel like she might not die. And I don't think Danny and John will die this soon. Like, if one of them is going to die, I think it'll be towards the end of the season. Okay, does anyone want to call a character they think is going to die that we haven't mentioned yet? <laughs> well, like... It's funny you should ask. My, my friend's office is doing a pool, and she asked for my input. So I, I filled out a whole list of ones. It's we like, should totally do. Died. We should totally do a podcast of Ice and Fire forums pool. Yeah, it's lives, dies, becomes a White Walker. Yeah, exactly. Options. I could see Grey Worm dying. I, I just, it, it worries me that I can't see the show killing off Sam or Tyrion. Or it just feels like those characters are too popular. They won't kill them off episode three. Um, and I feel someone major should die just to keep us all on our toes. So I mean, I did the get on... a sense that there will be a moment where. 
in in the battle for next episode, John might be in peril. They could die. And for da- Daenerys, it's like, oh, well, this answers everything. Because if he dies, then that's him gone. But then she'll save him anyway, or she'll have the dragons save him. To from, prove from her love. Aww. It just made me think of something. That whole bit with Arya and the Hound, and then they inserted Beric into that, that seemed a little odd. But what if, like, him and John, because they've been touched by the Lord of Light, the way, I guess, like, Bran has that mark or whatever, they're doing a whole, like, Voldemort Harry Potter thing there. What if he can't, like, if they do die, what if they can't be raised because they have that? So I'm calling it now. I think the major character that dies in this battle is Bran having defeated the Night's King. I think his story is ended and he dies. They should kill John. And then just have Sansa versus Annie versus Cersei. Yes, but they won't do that. But they should. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a feeling that Beric could die because the Hound said after the Lord of Light has um, revived you 19 times, it wouldn't be funny if I just threw you over the wall now. It would have been funny if he had just fucking thrown him over the wall as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, because he's always telling people to fuck off, you cunt. I mean, it would be funny if he just did that. Okay, well, with that, I would say that we've had a nice, concise, mostly positive, apart from some things that we really hated, uh, episode of Wolfcast. (laughs) I want to thank everyone for listening. It's been really super fun to talk to you all. So thank you to Glenn, Jock, Hannah, and Nadia. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Jenny would dance with her ghost. The ones she had lost and the ones she had found And the ones who had loved her the most The ones who'd been gone for so very long She couldn't remember their names They spun her around on the damp old stones Spun away all her sorrow and pain And she never wanted to leave 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 Never wanted